Today's guest is Vinnie Chopra. Vinnie is the author of the book, Apartment Syndication Made Easy. Hey, Vinnie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. I know I had a chance to read your book, The Apartment Syndications Made Easy. But before we dive into the book a little bit, um, because I highlighted your book and made a lot of notes, uh, <laughs> you know, give, a, give the audience a little bit of background on how you got started and maybe even take back to your first successful real estate investment. Oh, okay. Sure, sure, Aaron. Hey, I don't know if some people know me. They could Google me, uh, you know, Vinnie Chopra, V-I-N-N-E-Y. C-H-O-P-R-A, Chopra. I came from India many years back, you know, with a little bit of money, $7. And I just, you know, I'm an engineer and I took, converted into a salesperson, sales consultant, motivational speaker, all that. My journey has been like that, you know, in just, you know, feeling good about life and being positive and being optimistic and goal setting and dreaming about like everybody, you know, does and so forth. So the make long story short, we moved to California near in the east side of the Bay Area. 40 years back, my wife and I just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. And we have two children, Neil and Monica. Neil is, uh, he went to Berkeley, did electrical engineering, computer science. And Monica went to you know, UCLA, they are our pride and joy. And Monica is fully engrossed into our business. She's our vice president of operations. My wife is vice president of our investor relations. And then I have John Rusin, vice president of Academy. Then I've got Anna Martinez, who is vice president of financial operations. <laughs> you know, so essentially we've been doing single family home all this time over 35 years but i it was a revelation in my thinking 14 years back aaron when i you know looked into multifamily and never looked back you know yeah my uh -huh, go ahead one, one of the questions i want to ask you is you know you were an engineer and then you 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 learned sales so how did that transition go because it almost seems like a dichotomy with engineers <laughs> you're so right about it you know as a matter of fact i sold books door to door bible books educational books door to door uh, in the summer months while i was doing my mba at george washington university back in 76 77 78 we go way back buddy you know but <laughs> That really taught me a lot of good lessons about rejection and positive attitude and, you know, memorizing the scripts and, you know, making people feel comfortable, all those things, right? I said, you know what? My personality is more outgoing, right? So mm. I think I'm going to give it a try. And that was amazing. I was in like top 100 out of 3,000 college students. You know, so I did really, really well, by the way. And, you know, my family said, oh, my gosh, you just turned into a salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, literally. And my, you know, trophies started to come, plaques, and people started writing. My company started writing Vinnie Smile Chopra. 
in princesses because I was laughing a lot, you know, in the meetings and this and that. And anyway, that's how I got into sales. And then I never looked back. I boxed my engineering into a box, even though it took me five years to become mechanical engineer. And I worked in heavy fabrication master planning in Bombay. But then I resigned there to come to USA. So, you know, I've never felt that, you know, I think logical mind and all the different things come from engineering. I love numbers. I, I love statistics. I love trends. So it has really helped me a lot in my career as a motivational speaker, as now syndicator. You know, I've done 29 deals so far myself as a GP partner. A lot of time people say, oh, I've done 5,000 doors. And if you ask them, <laughs> Aaron, they put yeah. 50,000 here, 100,000 there, and that's all. But they count them as total number of doors, you know. But in my case, 4,300 doors are mine. You know, as the general partner, I'm on the loan on every single one. I'm the syndicator on every single deal. Not anybody else, you know, with me, except the last two, which we just did with Enzo, my good partners. And we bought $52 million deal last June and then $35 million deal uh, last December. Only they and I are the only partners in that deal, not 16 other GP partners. <laughs> God, I mean, your your enthusiasm is, you know, contagious. And, uh, and uh, I do want to ask you about your very first syndicator deal. You know, sure. Going from single family to syndicator seems, you know, probably a little challenging. Yes. Probably without much knowledge of how already having done it. Can you walk me through your first syndicator deal where you were the GP? And um, I would love to. How did that turn out? Totally, totally. You know, it took us 11 months. I would love to say that baby's born in nine months. It took us 11 months to get our first deal, you know, and it was very tough time, Aaron. It was the crash of 2007, 8, and 9 when I really got started, by the way. I'm seeing that same thing happening right now with COVID. It may not be that bad, but, you know, what it was that I was just starting out. Nobody knew me from Adam. They said, have you bought anything? I said, zero. Do you have any investors? Zero. Are you going to move to Texas? No. We're going to live here in the California area. So everything was very, very negative. One month to get seller financing because mm. nobody will give us the loan, buddy. Nobody will give us loan. I mean, that's what a lot of people find right now also, you know, that the terms have really, you know, toughened up. The reserves have gone to about 12 months now to 14 mm. months. And back then in 2008, when we bought that 109 unit was my first deal. But before that, on Monday, I closed 14 units. So my really first deal was 14 units, by the way. 14 units for $180,000 total amount. Yeah, yeah. And then how long did you hold that property for? I kept it for four and a half years, sold it for 380000 
380. So we did the renovations, you know, it was only 14 unit, like a yeah. U brick building. And it still is there, you know, but we bought it, but we sold it after three and a half years, I remember. Yeah, yeah. But then we sold our 109 units, Aaron. I paid 2.4 million for it, 2.4 mm. million for 109 units with 101 storage units and a commercial building all together. Things were very cheap then, buddy. <laughs> right. You know, 2.5, 4 million. And I sold it for 5 million. My investors got 43.3% return per year. 43.3% because it was so cheap, you know, and I raised a little bit money. But, you know, we gave our investors 70-30 split, I think. I remember, and they are so happy. And then they brought that money back again, more and more and more and more. A lot of my investors are still investing with me now, today, after 12 years. Isn't that great? <laughs> right, that's a good track record. But let me ask you this. So Please. for my listeners that may not be as familiar sure. with syndications, let's just go back to the basics. What what is what is syndication? What does that structure looks like for a syndication? Oh, totally, Aaron. Syndication is very. It's a legal term to combine the money of the like-minded people to pool the money together legally through an offering. We call it a securities offering, and you can only do it two ways. You have to register the security with the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, or you could take an exemption. So Regulation D lets you take exemption under 506B as in boy or 506C as a cat. So just to keep it simple, it's just a jargon to do the business in a legal way, which I love it because legal way is the best way because our investors are class A members and we are class B. So class A gets paid first always. So our syndication attorneys, they are regular, they are different attorneys than real estate attorneys, by the way. So we should always work with SEC specialist attorneys who put together the private placement memorandum, PPM it's called in abbreviation, and agreement for the operating agreement of the LLC that's going to purchase the asset. So those two documents are very, very important documents. Plus the third one, subscription agreement. So those are the three documents are needed. And every passive investor should ask for those, you know. Even Got if it. you're pulling money together with three people, you could do take tenants in common, which is a new, you know, some of your investors will know, or joint joint contracts. But if you're raising money with lots of people, you should always do syndication. So let me ask you this. You know, I had a chance to read through a couple of different um, syndication uh, operating, LLC operating agreements. Yes. And, um, in the back of it, you know, it lists the member schedules. And a lot of them are the general partners are always class A members. And then the limited partners are always class B members. No, I wrong. Why, reverse why, way. Why you reverse reverse way. way. It should be 
the first interest should be of the investors always. So it should be class A who gets paid first from the operating agreement. How it should read should be class A as investors and the sponsors are class B. Please go ahead. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And then um, in terms of um, these members, um, the in your investors, do they have any voting rights or they are pretty much? Uh, they do have uh, voting rights. 70%. I have to have 70% okay on major things. So we write like refinancing, waterfalls, or some major thing we are doing with renovations or some big calamity has come, you know, in the operation. And then we need to get a full agreement with the investors because the uh, limited partners are the majority of them, see, because they are the ones who are bringing money into the property to buy. General partners are on the loan. They are taking risks also. They are guaranteeing the loan or if it's Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, then they don't have to guarantee, right? It's it's non-recourse. Uh, it's called non-recourse loan and recourse loans. But in my PPMs and agreements, we say 70% voting rights from the limited partners. Because I do a meeting every quarter, live meeting on Zoom with my investors. I bring them in there. We record the meeting live. People can ask me questions live. I answer everything live. I show them all the reports of the property. I bring the property to my investors, which is a very, very special thing. A lot of people don't do that. They just Go ahead and do a little uh, executive summary I've seen, you know, in a, a PDF form and sends it out to the investors. They don't want to talk to investors. A lot of syndicators do that. Or they might just record a quick five-minute video and send it to their investors. I'm different in the sense I like them to participate with me and I bring the whole property to them, you know, every quarter on the quarter so that they could see and feel and touch their product and where they've invested money. That's why my investors have never asked me to do a cash call. I've never done a cash call in 14 years and I have never uh, been asked my investors to audit you know, pays 12,000, 15,000 because everything is transparent in my company. They can ask for invoices, for bank statements, for capex, for bidding. I mean, everything. PLs, you know, we always give PLs, but you know, rent rolls, they could go to the properties whenever they want, with whomever they want, without telling me because it's their asset, you know? So, yeah. I'm sorry. Go, no. so, oh, so just to go back to what you said in terms of cash call and and and, limit, and your investors can do an audit. Can you, for people that are not familiar with that, walk us through that in terms of if if somebody is considered being a syndicator, what can the limited partners do in terms of cash call and an audit? Okay. See, the thing is, cash call is the prerogative of the syndicator like me, who 
you know, do not do their calculations correctly, right? Or they mm-hmm. overpromise, you know, certain things uh, to the investors, and now they are really not able to bring about the kind of changes they wanted to make in the product. In the product, I mean, multifamily, right? Or commercial right. buildings and all. So what they are finding is, I've seen that people, investors hate cash calls. What they say is that if I give you hundred or two hundred or five hundred thousand, Vinnie, you, we look at to you as an expert. So you need to do all the calculations, and when you are presenting the deal to us, it should be fully vetted. That's the word, vetted. Totally, mm-hmm. business plan has been thought through. That you are not telling us something, you know, that you're going to hide it for a year or two years, and now you say, you know what, we don't have money to change the boiler, or we had to change the roof. Now I have to do a cash call to ask all the investors to pitch in more money into the deal. Mm-hmm. That's what the cash call is, right? I've never done one in 14 years. I never will because, you know, we need to be totally savvy in our underwritings and under-promise and (laughs) over-deliver. Got it. Okay. And then you mentioned another thing with regard to the audit where the investors ask you. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we brought it up. We asked the investors, you know, because... You know, some auditing companies call us, right? You know, we would like to look over your books and all and prepare this whole audit. And I shared it with my investors, right? I said, you know, you can look at all our books. Everything is transparent. These are the reports. We never keep double accounting at all. It's in pennies and cents. And I shared with them everything. Every quarter, I'm sharing with them the statements and all and where the money went and how it all happened, right? So when I shared with them that it's $12,000 to do an audit, right, on one LLC, Mm -hmm. on just one LLC, Mm -hmm. they said, Vinny, Oh my gosh, you are so transparent. I mean, you know, you know what, you know, I mean, there is no two books and everything. You're giving us bank statements and I have very, very learned people in my team. You know, we have accounting department with full-time vice president of financial, you know, affairs. And she's been with me 12 years now, right? She's also invested into my deals and everything. Senior accounts payable manager. She's been with me seven, eight years, right? So all these are professionals. And my at the peak, I had five people working in my accounting department because we have millions of dollars coming from, you know, all these deals, right? And we manage them ourselves. Every single property we have bought, we manage them in-house, you know? Yeah. And, and talking about, you know, the, um, all these cash flow, how are you finding these investors? I know your very first deal, you didn't have any investors. It was hard to find loans and hard to do the seller financing. How did you finally get some traction trying to find Good investors? point. It was going to meetings, uh, meetup groups, RIA meetings. I started even then, you know, sending out to our friends circle. And, you know, some people referred me to some other friends. I went and made phone calls as a salesperson 
consultant sat in their living room met at uh, you know uh, starbucks coffees i mean it's a lot of hard work but you show them powerpoint presentation to show them why multifamily is the way to do it i started 14 years back i have 168 investors only 168 but i can raise 7 to 10 million dollars in just 4 days 3 to 4 days my best record is 7 million dollars i raised in 7 hours 7 hours you know where i showed my investors they have believe in me so much they just you know shell out so much money and they are doctors attorneys uh, directors of it companies and cpas and very very high caliber people you know yeah good and so these investors when you're putting this things together and they're a class a investors when you start out how many shares are you issuing is it a million okay shares? no 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 not at all it's always specific offering what that means is that if i need to you know that 2.4 million i mentioned right uh, that right. uh, buena vista garden is the name of the property it was palm garden we changed the name already because we always change the name of the property especially when we are putting great great value into it right renovations yeah. and all we do uh, ribbon cutting ceremony after about 6 months or 8 months invite the mayor invite the you know building department people chamber of commerce uh, better business bureau we have a luncheon at my properties right so that way we can have a good exposure and good pr i love to do that right. you know as we change the curb appeal and make a media center get a you know uh curing machine the cafes and the dog parks and all that stuff so it's good marketing right the other good part is uh like you were asking me these investors uh, they came in like starting with my properties right so when i do my quarterly meetings with each of my investor guess what i do towards the end of the quarterly meeting i'm always showing them they are already believing in me show them the next project and the next project and the mm-hmm. next project so essentially i've never done a webinar in my life for my offerings never done a webinar okay. literally you know like a lot of people do all these media things and webinars right i've never done it i just share with them every quarter where i'm going from texas to atlanta to florida what i'm looking into my newsletter keeps them abreast of where the deals might be coming then i just send them mm. a soft commitment and they commit themselves to 200,000 400,000 500,000 it's first come first serve <laughs> i just raised 4 million right. over the weekend <laughs> 4 million dollars for my assisted living which is my new market that i'm going into you know aaron i'm i'm building right. senior assisted living with memory care ground up ground up buddy in 12 to 14 months and i'm getting offers to buy that before even i build it up completely so it's very exciting with my partner 
Shaheed and myself. And, you know, so I always look for new partners also. So I have partner in multifamily. We are very excited. Then I have a partner now in ground up construction. And then I have a partner in hotels. So another partner who took a company to NASDAQ, 100 million. He's my partner now with millions of dollars. We bought a Hilton Garden Inn. <laughs> now we are buying Marriott, Courtyard, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So in order to, uh, in, for investors um, to find out about these, what does your pitch look like? And how do you, I know your book mentioned, you know, pitching uh, with the data. Walk us through what, what a good pitch Surely, surely. Like. I would say definitely as your investors are getting started, they should put together a nice PowerPoint presentation. Get a Fiverr, dot com. A really good person uh, for 50 bucks, I think, or 100 bucks. They could make a beautiful killer PowerPoint presentation. Why multifamily? And what's their business plan? You know, very nice, crisp uh, slides, right? Because first impression is the mm -hmm. best impression, I call it. Build a credibility kit. That's the second part. Because nobody's going to invest money unless they trust you. And they see you, mm. you know, what you are about, where you have come from. And when I was starting out, I was mentioning to them, we own so many single family homes and, you know, the cash flow is not where it should be. And guess what? They related to that because they were also having mm -hmm. real estate investment in single family home. But then I showed them why multifamily is better than single family, right? So those slides captured their attention. So that's how I did it. Now I have improved on that where I show them what's cash on cash, what's, you know, uh, cap rate, right? What's LOI, letter of intent. So I teach my investors. That's what I do. So it should be more education than asking for money. See, because you got to build relationship with the investors first sit down, look at their, you know, three-point rule, right? SEC has three-point rule where you don't share about the future deals until you have really sat down with them, looked at their goals and everything through, you know, uh, you could do it on the FaceTime, you could do it, you know, Skype, you could do it through Zoom meetings or WebEx or go-to meetings. I've done all of them, you know, in the past and I do it still. But the big thing is, it's that you want to find out where they're, you know, have they invested in stock market or how much they're familiar with, you know, investments. And if they have retirement funds, do they know how to self-direct that into real estate? So you're educating them. That's where I'm trying to get to. Once you have educated them, you have to put it into a CRM you know, uh, active campaign or MailChimp or someplace so that you can document when you talk to them, what they told you about. Now you are ready with the database in one side. Now you start looking into deals and underwrite the deals and everything. Once you find a good deal, then you bring them together, right? So you tell your investors when the deal comes in the future, you can never show them a deal from the past. You cannot because 
SEC ruling says pre-existing relationships substantial, substantiated, you know, pre-existing relationships with your investors. Got it. And so let me ask you this. So in terms of uh, different ways to raise capital, there's a new one that I keep hearing about, which is the regulation for crowdfunding. Have you uh, done crowdfunding? And if so, you know, walk Yeah, you know, crowdfunding is actually, it's a 506C because you are able to advertise and you are able to get to the masses to get $5,000 or $10,000 or $25,000. I have set my limit at 100000 Thank goodness I did that 14 years back. So now I have investors investing with me $700,000 in a deal. In one deal. I have investors right. now who will be investing $1 million in one deal with me. $1 million. Because what it is is that crowdfunding is just making it so, so difficult. Well, no, no. I shouldn't say difficult. It's not difficult for me because I can raise millions so quickly for other people because crowdfunding mm -hmm. is allowing a lot of people to buy, but it's also making it very messy, 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 you know, because some people say, you know what, let me, I have my 5,000 and they're putting 5,000 into it, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I believe that we should only take very little of what people have to invest in because they could lose money, see? Right, right. So when you say messy, is it because of the cap table being so I large? think so. I mean, I have not really perfected. I, I know people approach me. Of, they said, Vinny, would you like to put your deal on this platform for crowdfunding? But previously they were saying, Vinny, mm -hmm. you will raise only 20% of what you need to raise, but you need to do your own things you know, to really push and mm -hmm. get your project to finance, you know, in a short period of time, because we usually have, as you know, 90 days maximum, right? 90 days or 120 days right. from the due diligence. You only have 45 days left to get the money together. And sometimes crowdfunding just goes on and on and on because there are so many different deals on it. Right. So, you know, yours is right. just one of the many, many. I believe 506B is the best way to do it because you can have your own structure with the nice investors who you have already built relationship with. And then when you get a deal, right. they would love to jump into it, you know. Got it. And, you know, as I was reading your book, I wanted to understand how a syndicator yes. gets paid. Because it, it looks like if you're looking at the 70-30 yes. split, um, it, you know, it doesn't look 30% to the syndicator doesn't look like much. So then when I was reading your book, there there's this yes. sort of fee structure. And I just want to go through some of these fee structures and understand totally. um, what are some of the no. common fees. So one of the uh, fees that was talked about is Correct. the acquisition fee. And maybe I would love to. Love to. See if I missed it. So acquisition fee, asset management fee, there's the annual management fee, disposition fee, property management fee, yeah. due diligence fee. So walk yes. through the different fees and, um, and see I what love other to. fees I would I love guess. to. You know, as you know, 
that, you know, uh, Aaron, this is a pretty big, daunting work. I just want to say that to your investors and everybody listening to me, even passive investors, I have documents put together. How long does it take to even get one asset under your, you know, good one? I mean, you could throw money, investors' money in wrong assets. I don't believe in that at all. I returned $4 million to my investors in February, I think, this year, because they believed in me. And as I looked into the deal and with my sponsor, I just didn't feel comfortable, right? You know, so I returned that money to my investors and they loved me for that. They said, Winnie, that's the reason we do business with you because you watch out for our money, which is true. We have fiduciary responsibility. So let's talk about acquisition fee. Acquisition fee is very much needed for a syndicator like me or anybody because it takes us three to four to six months sometime to find a great deal to build relationships with the brokers, with the loan brokers, with due diligence people, with syndication attorney and real estate attorney. Look at that, five people. I have to orchestrate everything and then find a great property. Then I have to join them with my investor base of so many people to bring the deal together to a closing. And that's why we charge due diligence fee of like one to 2% and then loan guaranteeing fee of 1% to 2%. What that means is we are on the loan of 10 million, 15 million, 20 million. You know, the last one I bought, 52 million, we were on loan for $42 million loan, right? So there is some price tag to be making myself vulnerable is the word, right? Because the bank is going to go after me not my limited partners, right? So that's what that acquisition fee or due diligence fee is. That's what our, you know, syndicators get paid one to 4%, we could say, right? You know, any anything in between more, uh, you know, they are involved in and so forth, then they will be charging like 2% or 3%. That's the norm. Second fee we get is when we are, doing asset management fee, we call it. Now we bought the asset. Now we have the daunting task of making sure if we have a third party management company to make sure that they are doing things right and they are doing everything legally and they're not gouging, you know, uh, on the invoices, on billing and everything. So there is an asset management fee, it's called, one to two percent to perform the asset after it's bought to bring about the cash flow returns for the investors. So, so can, let sure, me ask you sure. a quick follow-up question about that. So, the difference between an asset management fee okay. and a property yes. management fee. So, is, is the I I seen where I read some of the operating agreements from different syndications. Sometimes the asset management fee. Is a they take a, like two percent of the total um, contribution from all the investors, and in others, where I seen is they're taking two percent of the total of the properties that the the syndication own. Have you seen both 
Okay, Wage good point. What do you Asset management fee should be based on the total rents collected. It should not be on the money that was raised. The reason is because it's for five years or seven years term, right? Asset management means you're managing the asset after it's purchased, not before. So essentially property management fee, I would love to also kind of bring both of them along with each other. Property management sure. fee, just like it says, if you are hiring a third party, in other words, investors are class A members, we are class B members, right? Now we are hiring a third mm -hmm. property management company who is going to overlook the asset or the multifamily or commercial building, whatever it is. They are going to run it from day-to-day -day operations with hiring the personnel, the community manager, we call it, right? Leasing agent, technical uh, HVAC certified tech, you know, manager, technical, and then an, as a helper to the tech, you know, we call it. So four full-time jobs, they will be managing them through their software. They'll be collecting rents and all that. So that's property management fee, which is usually anywhere from 2.5 to 5 or 6% even. If it's smaller number of, you know, units, it's higher percentage. Usually it's three to three and a half percent. So the higher the number of units, more rents are collected, then it goes down to 3%, right? You know, so that's property management right. fee. Asset management fee is okay. charged by the syndicators, sponsors, and that is to manage the property management company, right? We could give them carte blanche. Hey, you manage it and we will never look at you at all, right? That's something different because then they could, you know, I mean, to hold everybody accountable, right? You need to asset manage. Mm. That's what that asset management fee is. And then comes the equity gain fee. What that is, it's the split between 70-30, like you said, right? So we are giving 70-30 to the investors in the first part, cash flow, and then we do a preferred return of like 7, 8, 9%, depending on. But then at the end of the year, we look at it, how much profit did we make from the property? And after we paid 7% or 8 or 9% preferred to the class A members, we split the total profits into 70-30 again at the end of 12 months. So investors might even get more than what they got paid before. 70% of that is split amongst the investors class A. 30% goes to the general partners class B. Now it goes to certain percent IRR, internal rate of return, usually 13 to 15% is the norm in the industry. And then it splits 50-50. Other words, after we give our limited partners, investors, 15% IRR, which is very good, by the way. 15% right. means like they're making 18% per year, you know, returns. 18 right. or 
18% returns per year, which is unheard of, you know, anywhere in the stock market or anywhere like that. But then after that, it's 50-50 split for a reason because we don't make much money during the operation, but we are counting our eggs at the back end, right? And it gives the sponsors incentive also to be really digging deeper to making that property more valuable. That's the word, you know, they should not just let it go and say, you know what, we are not making any money. So we are not going to, you know, keep managing the asset like we should. They should. Sponsors have syndicators like me have the full responsibility from start to finish, you know, on that asset, making sure everything is well taken care of, you know, and then returning the principal back to the to the uh, limited partners, our investors, and giving them the equity gain. So as soon as we close on a property, I hold a meeting with my investors and I share with them the whole closing statement, everything. When I buy the property, guess what I do? First meeting, first month is going over the closing statement when we bought it. And they see every single thing, snippets. I never show Excel worksheets in my presentations. Anybody can fabricate Excel worksheets, you know, but you need to be looking at what software we are using when we ran the report. So I authenticate everything. That's the key. That's how you get the trust from the investors. See, when you show them CapEx of 21 sheets, right? So I show them CapEx of one page of the 21 snippet in my PowerPoint. Then I show them the 21 of the 21 page right there, next slide. So that mm -hmm. they see, and we attach the whole 21 page uploaded into their portal so that they could have, if they have time, they could look through everything. So Got that's the transparency comes in, you so, know? There was some more fee too, disposition fee. Now, yes. disposition fee, as it says, it's sale of the asset. So we have to work very hard interviewing a lot of brokers in three to five years, whenever we are ready to sell the asset, we have to get involved in vetting the brokers, we call it. We have to send them reports. They prepare BPO, Broker's Price Opinion, or BOV, Broker's Value Opinion, right? Uh, value mm -hmm. Opinion of Brokers, VOB, I think. So those things, then we select one broker. Now we have to give them a lot of information to put the whole thing together to dress up the property for sale, all right? right? Lots of reports are put into Dropbox and getting ready for the buyers. And then we have to do the tours of the properties and all that. So it's a lot more work involved. That's why there is a 1% or 2%. I think 1% or 2% is the disposition fee, we call it, yeah. So let me ask you a quick question about the disposition. So let's say, for example, you are seller financing the property when you're selling it. Okay. Uh, walk, I know in, initially when you're buying the property, 
um, you know, there is a loan guarantee fee, but if you are offering seller financing uh-huh. and let's say over the 30 years, um, let's say you, you're charging certain interest and interest is also coming in. So let me ask you two step questions. So when you're offering seller financing, do you collect a certain fee so that you're able to put that work together to do the seller financing? And secondly, when, when the interest come in a principal or fees and charges coming over the 30 years to the life of the loan, do you also charge a, charge, charge a fee of the interest that are coming in? Not at all. Not at all. I've never done it, by the way, you know, Aaron, where I have had seller financing when we sell. Because, see, I need to give the money back to my investors, right? I have mm. to cash them out. So seller financing is only needed when the buyer cannot bring about a loan, right? Because we are writing a loan then for them. So in other words, I will not get my equity out of the product to give my investors and give the equity gain either. So I have not done. You could do seller financing if you ask the limited partners how many of you would like to cash out, right, from mm-hmm. partners or investors? And how many of you are interested in doing seller financing? See, it has to be a joint joint decision, first of all, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of investors want to get out of the property after five years. My God. Right, right. You know, right. and they want to invest it into a new emerging market or into my other deals and all that. But I would say, venture to say, seller financing is a very small transaction. It's Mm. like getting a real estate attorney to write out a promissory note. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's a promissory note with the calculations of so much person interest. If there is a balloon payment coming up in five years or three years or 10 years, there should be no money char- i'm just thinking aloud right i've never right, 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 yeah. but there should be no accrual of interest and then planning to you know get a percentage of that or anything on the syndicator's part no 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 that's like ripping off the investors you know that's not right but I read a couple of the um, limited liability company where I don't know if they actually put that there just for its part, just so that they may, if they have to do a seller financing, it's the, that document is there. Oh, Uh, but I just want to get your take on. I see. I see. Yeah. I would say that definitely, you know, uh, uh, we should be very careful when we're reading these documents, right? Because, uh, otherwise, you know, we'll be able to, uh, yeah, I mean, all these, uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad you shared that maybe with this smaller property, maybe there are not too many investors and maybe I don't know which prospectus you were looking at, but I've never done a seller financing, especially in syndication deal. It's very mm-hmm. hard because the investors are looking for their capital back and the equity gain. Because that's what I promised them, see, five years back. I told them that you will be making 15% IRR or 19% IRR. It's only at the exit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Got it. Okay. And is there any other fees? I know we mentioned, I okay. think we covered all the I would I say, to... you know, the disposition fee, asset management fee, property management fee, which goes to the third party. But I will be very open and frank with you. We have our own property management company. We are vertically integrated, right? So right. every property I have bought, we have been managing them. So I get paid my Monil management company gets paid that 3.5%. I disclose that in the PPM and I have a contract from the LLC that owns the property with my property management company. See, so there has to be legal documentation between the two so that it's done properly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and so, then, hmm? And then you talked about equity gain um, a little bit in the the seventy thirty split. I when I read some other documents, it, uh, there was a lot of variation in terms of how that deal is. Sometimes the investors were getting forty percent share, and the rest were going to the um, you know general partners. I was wondering the industry standard or what what have you seen in terms you know, of the equity split? I would love to share that right now. What I've been really kind of looking at is creative ways by syndicators to stack like they don't want to give the upside. So they are saying to the investors, okay, you could get 9% as this class member. You don't get any upside. You could get 6% or 7% in the class, another class, and now you get the upside. Or you could get third with this IRR, I mean, it's just confusing. You know, mm -hmm. investors, I believe in simplicity. I believe mm -hmm. so that everything should be understood by the investors in a very easy way, you know? So I, I feel that it's better to just keep it very simple, class A and class B. And don't right. mess up all these different things. I believe that if I'm an investor, I want to learn you know, and, and understand so that I can sleep well at nighttime, right? You know, right. I mean, that's how yeah. I feel. So ours have been very straightforward, 70, 30, 80, 20, and then with IRR and then split 50-50. But it's only class A limited members. We do do tier investing. I would love to share that with you and your audience. Sure. What's tier investing means? 100,000 to 200,000 or 199, our investors can be in one block. 200 to 499, the second block of investors, and 500 and above is the third block of investors. So, what that means is my investors have moved now from 100 to 2 or 2 to 5 because I give them a little bit extra percentage from my side, right? So this way, everything is open to all the investors to invest in, but it's tiered investing, but they get the same cash flow returns, splits and everything. It's not changed at all. It's just that they get preferred rate a little bit better. That's how it So when you say tiered investing, so you would have class different classes like class uh, B, C. Well, actually, we just say A, B, C. You're right. But they're all limited class. They are the same split. Everything same. Everything is same. 
It's just that we give them like 100,000 gets like 7%, 7777. But they do get the upside too, by the way, right? B class 8888, they get upside, same percentage, same everything, right? On the 500,000, we give 99999 and the same split. It's not, the split is not taken away from the uh, first class at all, like some other people are doing, right? Yeah. Okay. And you, you know, uh, I really want to thank you for your time today. Totally. I, think, I, think, I think your book is great. So let me ask you this. I know we're getting to the hour mark, but you know, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you and uh, find out more about you, get a copy? Of oh, your sure, book? sure. You know, uh, thank you so much, Aaron, for inviting me. And it's such a pleasure to chat with you, buddy. I know the apartment syndication made easy, became international top seller. It's on Amazon. If they just say apartment syndication made easy by Vinny Chopra, V-I-N-N-E-Y, Vinny Chopra, then they will come with the English edition. We just launched the Spanish version also right now. And we have audio also. We got a Hollywood star to uh, recite the whole book. That's there. And also Kindle edition is there. Then my another book, Positivity Brings Profitability will be launched within a month's time. That's my second book, sequel to my apartment syndication made easy because I really believe attitude plays such a great role in our investments and how we do things and bring our businesses to a new level. Then my third book is coming passively invest. I think it's called investing in senior living because that's my new niche where I'm going after right now. We just started a podcast also, by the way, with the innovative uh, senior living investing show, which is aired every Thursday in the evening, 5 p.m. Pacific, and then replayed on Saturdays. Then I have podcast also, <laughs> Apartment Syndication Made Easy podcast, where I interview great personalities in the in the USA. And, you know, my website is Vinnie. Chopra.com, V-I-N-N-E-Y-C-H-O-P-R-A.com. And I'm on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. <laughs> thank you. Got it. And I look forward to your book. That's, uh, oh, thank so, you. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for your time. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you. And I hope your audience will get some great you know, value of these comments. 